Well, good morning, Strong Tower. What a joy to be in this house this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I have been blessed immeasurably. Now, I was sitting there thinking, God bless those sweet people because it's going downhill from here. <laughs> Y'all going to feel like you got cheated. Pastor Chris is not here today, but we're thankful he could be out and getting some rest. And I will tell you, I am honored to be here uh, in this place today and to speak for my friend, uh, Pastor Chris Williamson, and thank God for him so very, very much. Uh, since I was last here with you, life has been a journey for us. Uh, our kids have all relocated to other places in, <clears throat> in the country. In fact, Patty, my wife, flew out to Tampa on Friday evening, and we were both scheduled to fly at that time, and uh, Chris called and said, could you preach for me on the 13th? And I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> and we rescheduled my flight, and uh, glad, glad to do so just to be able to be here. But uh, part of our family is in Tampa, Florida, the other part in Canton, Georgia, and so we kind of bounce around. And someone said, well, what are you doing these days? Well, I'm doing a little bit of everything. I'm working right now for Mission of Hope out of Haiti. And uh, we are working to bring life transformation to every man, woman, and child in that nation. Uh, one of the largest, longest sustaining ministries that's ever been in the nation there. So you can pray for that. We'd love to have some folks from Strong Tower come down and work with us on Haiti. Uh, uh, the day I started with them was the day the hurricane hit, and we spent two days in Austin, Texas doing disaster planning, and we have now put about uh, 2.5 million uh, tons of food out into the nation, and just last week we restocked our warehouse down there with 11 million meals that will be going out in the days ahead, so you keep praying for the folks in Haiti because they certainly need our prayers. I'm also working with a, a ministry called Fishbowl Ministries, and it's just a ministry to those uh, who are in ministry. You know, pastors and their families live in a fishbowl, and so there are a lot of guys out there swimming with one fin right now, <laughs> and so I try to make my way to them and let them know that they are loved, and we honor them, we pray for them, we stand with them in whatever they may be going through, so you keep praying for that ministry also, and then also working with uh, a ministry here uh, based out of the Franklin Brentwood Impact Stewardship, uh, helping churches to raise capital dollars for building and refurbishing their plants or paying off debt or whatever the need may be. So, uh, and then Rick White Ministries, uh, just the speaking part of my ministry. So uh, thanks for your prayers, your support. There's a special bond between my heart and the Strong Tower Church from the time we spent together on the campus at the People's Church in Franklin and I thank God uh, for you. Uh, our hearts are kind of going in the same direction this morning, and that was so evident from the very first note of our worship, because today I want to talk to you on uh, the subject of balcony people. Okay, you folks up there, balcony people. <laughs> now, we don't know what y'all are doing up there, okay? <laughs> but we're going to talk about balcony people today. The king of the comics, as far as I'm concerned, was always uh, Charles Schultz and his little, uh, little uh, 
cartoon Peanuts. I, I loved all of the characters in Peanuts, Linus and Lucy and Schroeder, uh, Pigpen, the little red-haired girl, and Charlie Brown. Uh, they all brought a ring of reality to the relationships of life. And there's a sequence that comes to mind about Linus. He had written a comic strip of his own, and he wanted Lucy's opinion. And so in the first frame, you see Linus handing over this comic strip and said, Lucy, would you read this and tell me if you think it's funny? And in the next frame, you see Lucy, she's patting her foot a little, and she's got a little bit of grin across her face, and she looks at Linus and she says, who wrote this? And he sticks out his chest and has a big grin and says, Lucy, I wrote that. And in the next frame, you see Lucy wadding it up and throwing it to the ground and say, well, I don't think it's very funny. <laughs> in the final frame, you see Linus picking up the comic strip throws his blanket over his shoulder, looks at Lucy, and he simply says, big sisters are the crabgrass in the lawn of life. <laughs> I dare say, if you and I thought long and hard enough, we'd remember being the crabgrass in somebody's life. We've done that. None of us want to be a source of discouragement, and yet, if we're not careful, as certainly some have not been in recent months, we can find ourselves being more pessimistic than optimistic and more discouraging than encouraging. Do you understand that every person you know, starting with you, has an internal fuel tank? It's in the spirit. And you can read the gauge on another person by simply looking them in the eye or walking or watching their walk, their gait, how they present themselves, and it will tell you a whole lot about them. There are some people that you and I can be around and they just breathe life into us. They fill up our emotional fuel tank. As an illustration of this, uh, one of the early church fathers offered a metaphor to describe such people. He says, at horse races, the spectators intent on victory shout to their favorites in the contest. From the balcony, they incite the rider to keener effort, urging the horses on while leaning forward and flailing the air with their outstretched hand instead of a whip. We've all been a part of balcony people at one time or another. You pull for your favorite team. And you have had hand gestures and bodily energy and emotional energy going out where you're just saying, come on, do your best. We can do this together. And there are people who also, in your life, they can stick a hose into your tank, take a deep breath, and they can start siphoning the fuel right out of you. They're basement people. They drain the life out of you. And the truth is, we can be basement people or we can be balcony people for others around us. And when you read the New Testament, the ministry of encouragement is spoken of over a hundred times. And one of the greatest characters in all the Bible, perhaps I believe the, the patron saint of balcony people, is the guy that we're going to look at today by the name 
of Barnabas. And we're going to look at him and we're going to dream about what we could do and we could be for other people. Now, I'm going to have us to look at four particular paragraphs of Scripture this morning. They're all found in the book of Acts. So if you want to turn, first of all, to Acts chapter 4 with me. Acts chapter 4, and I want to say to you, the very first thing about Barnabas, Barnabas was a balcony person. That was, he was an encourager. He was an exhorter of people, and he proved it by all things. And we've just had two segments in this service that we talked about by his giving. Look at verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. And the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. We meet Barnabas for the very first time in Acts chapter 4 under his given name of Joseph. He was a Levite, but he was not allowed to serve as an assistant to the priests because he'd been born in Cyprus. He was a, made him a Hellenist or an Israelite that was born overseas. And so you might expect Joseph, because he couldn't serve as an assistant to the priest, to be kind of sour about this, but he wasn't. He was a balcony guy. Now, I want you to notice very carefully in that text, it says, the one the apostles nicknamed. Have you ever, have you ever picked out a nickname for somebody? Now, let me ask you this. We all have nicknames, don't we? My, my oldest daughter, who's a good friend of Doreen and Chris, I, I named her Scooter when she was a little kid. And so every time I really want to have a, a special moment with her, I'll refer to her as Scooter. Now, we've all had our nicknames. We've nicknamed others. What if the church today, by our actions, what if others in the church gave us nicknames? What would our nicknames be? Hmm, my Lord indeed. <laughs> Here is Joseph, who, who could have carried a little chip on his shoulder because he was limited in what the church would allow him to do, and yet he's a part of this great New Testament community, and when he sees a need, he simply responds. He is the first recorded donor in this new community of faith. He sold property. He put the money at the apostles' feet. He became an encouragement to everybody else when when others needed to give also. Right now, I'm working with two churches, one over in Chattanooga and one in Montgomery, Alabama. They're, They're both trying to raise large amounts of money. And one of the things that we ask when we go in and do a campaign like that in the church, we meet with the leaders. And we say to the leaders, we would love for you to be the first ones to step out and declare, this is what you are going to commit by faith to give. 
And the leaders will say, well, well, why should we be the first? Because those lead gifts like that are always going to be an encouragement to other people. I mean, when the church sees what the leaders are doing, the church is energized. That's exactly what happened in the life of Barnabas right here. He has this piece of property. He goes, he sells it, he brings the money to the feet of the disciples, and his spirit becomes infectious. The disciples renamed Joseph Barnabas, son of encouragement, because he encouraged the community. It encouraged him, and I mean, it, it just is a spiral. What our elder told us earlier was so true. If you want to see something take place in your life that becomes infectious to others, learn to be a giver, a gracious giver in life. Now, Strong Tire, I want to say a word to you, a prophetic word to you, okay? This community needs you not just to survive but to thrive. And the only way that's going to happen is if there is a spirit of giving that is let loose in God's people. What you are doing here is unique in church ministry in this whole area. So I want to call out the Barnabas today. We need someone to step up and say, I'll be that person. Now, you don't see Barnabas again until you get to Acts chapter 9. So turn over there if you would. Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 28. Not only was Barnabas a balcony person by his giving, he was also a Barnabas, or a son of encouragement, by showing grace. Verse 26 says, when he, and this reference is to Saul, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he had had this great Damascus Road experience, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Now, we could get real judgmental if we wanted to right there. And we could just say, well, man, they, they were just wrong, and they were. But the reality is, you and I probably don't understand the historical and cultural significance of this. Saul of Tarsus was like a modern-day terrorist. He's been killing these very people. And now he goes back to Jerusalem and he tries to join the disciples, but they're afraid of him. But who? Verse 27, but Barnabas. Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul stayed with them and moved about them freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. If it had not been for Barnabas, our, our New Testament may read completely different. If there had not been a Barnabas who said, you know what, I, I believe in this man. I believe he can change. I believe God has changed him. I believe this man that has gone from persecuting the church can now become one of those who edifies and builds up the church. I really see something in this person. Folks, listen, that's what 
the ministry of reconciliation and redemption is all about. If we have built some type of barrier to people coming into our churches where they're fearful about acceptance, we need every Barnabas in the church to rise up because you see, balcony people do not let who you were yesterday limit who you might be to today or might become tomorrow. Who knows? Who knows the potential that a man or woman has once their life is transformed by the grace of God? And here is this man, this Barnabas, this son of encouragement, willing to take a risk on Saul. And he, I mean, he puts it on the line. He says, I'll sign off for him. I'm commending you. I'm commending him to you. If it had not been for him, his acceptance into this Jesus community might not have ever happened. And you see, the most wonderful gift that balcony people can give to others is the gift of starting over. You know how many people live around you today who are broken, who are heart sick, who would like to know, hey, I can start over again. My life can be different. I can make a contribution. And yet it's going to take someone with eyes to see and ears to hear who are going to believe. You know, I do believe God's transformed that person's life. And who knows how that one person may impact our culture, our society, our world, if you and I would just take that one step and say, you know what, I'm going on the line for this person. I'm going to bring them into this community of grace. But how many of us have noticed that religious communities are not always great about change? And so everything hinges on who we send out there in our world representing God's kingdom. Here was Barnabas, the son of encouragement, giving grace to other people. There's a third paragraph I want you to see because now Barnabas seems to kind of go off the scene. Paul or Saul becomes much more the person that we begin to look at. But by the time you get to Acts chapter 11, you see that Barnabas was a balcony person by serving. Verse 19 of Acts 11 says this, now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. And some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was upon them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and he saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. I mean, about two years has elapsed. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch, 
And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, I don't know if you see what's happening with this guy's life or not. It all starts with a financial gift that encourages the church. And then it seems like God just says, all right, I'm going to do, you've been faithful in that. I'm going to do something else. I am going to use you to be a dispenser of my grace to those who really don't understand that grace is for them. And so he brings Saul into that body of believers. Now as the gospel is going out and now it goes to Antioch, he goes there and he sees all these people coming to faith in Jesus. And he said, hey, somebody's got to teach these people. Somebody's got to disciple these people. Who's the first person that he thinks about? It's Saul. He goes back to Tarsus. He brings him in. And soon, Saul becomes Paul, his name being changed from the Jewish version to the Gentile version. And it would be Paul who would become the great missionary to the Gentiles and the rest of the world. And all of this happened because of one man being used greatly by God, and his name was Barnabas. He was a balcony person. He was a balcony person. You see, balcony people can see things in others no one else can see. And then as Paul and Barnabas begin to do ministry together, Barnabas' name was listed first. And in the ancient world, the order of names tell you who's in charge, kind of who's the leader, who's the boss, who carries the prestige of the mission. But by the 14th chapter of Acts, the order of names switches, and it's no longer Barnabas and Paul. It is now Paul and Barnabas. Well, we'd say, Barnabas, you did a bad job of career management there, buddy. Uh, you could have been jealous about all of this. But you see, this man was a kingdom thinker. He was a kingdom kind of guy. And what he wanted was God's kingdom to advance, and it really didn't matter who got the credit. And then you see him in this last passage we're going to look at. He was a balcony person because he developed leadership in others. Now let me confess to you, this is one of those passages in Acts 15 that uh, it, it's hard to, hard to get your arms around because there's some things happening that we don't totally understand. It says in verse 36, After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. And their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Now, here's this guy who's been Mr. Encouragement. And all of a sudden, there is a, there's a disagreement that is so sharp that these two separate. And Paul chose Silas, and he left. The believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. And Barnabas took John Mark with him. 
Mark had traveled with them on their early missionary journeys, but there had come that time where he had had deserted them. And now as they're about to go back and revisit and Barnabas comes to bat, he says, you know what, I I still believe in John Mark. He may have let us down at one time, but I just just believe the guy is going to come through. Paul said, nope, it's not going to happen, not on my watch. You know, it's interesting that the Bible doesn't say that one was wrong or the other was right. Sometimes it's up to us to decide, and that's what part of God wants for us because then we grow which says there are going to be a lot of things on this side of eternity that you and I are not going to understand. But you've got to make a decision right there. I'm either going to keep pulling for the kingdom and trusting God, and I'm going to get up every day saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. I will be glad in it. It doesn't mean I understand this day or all that's going on in it. But I am not going to quit trusting God because of the adversity of the moment. And if you were to trace this, not saying who was right or who was wrong, but I will say this. If you keep tracing the life of the Apostle Paul, by the time you get to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, which is his last will and testament in the faith, he writes to Timothy and he says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. That's John Mark. And bring him with you, for he is helpful to me in ministry. I don't know what Barnabas saw, but man, I'm sure glad he didn't give up. Aren't you glad that someone didn't give up on you in your life? Aren't you glad you had a praying mom or a grandmom? Or that you had a mentor or a boss or someone in your life who just kept calling out the potential of you, even in the midst of your failures, they would not define your life by that one moment in time. And that's exactly what God's grace did through Barnabas. We need to be balcony people for each other. Hebrews 3.13 says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hebrews 10, 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Guys, if the American culture ever needed the church to be the church of Jesus Christ, it's today. We have the power of life and death in our tongue. And we ought to be a church that takes our lead from a man like Barnabas, where we are continually lifting people up and speaking life into them and truth into them and praying to them. I mean, this whole service has been about what this man was already doing. Balcony people, balcony people encourage others by their giving, by their serving, by showing grace, and by taking others alongside and leading them. Now, One final thought today. How would you have liked to have been at Barnabas' funeral? (laughs) And the speakers that day were going to be Paul and John Mark. What do you think they'd have said about him? 
I mean, can you imagine? That would have been a funeral for a kingdom man. He never sought greatness, but he always sought for the greatness of God's kingdom. The spread of the gospel from this one small ethnic group where it had been housed for so long to the whole world is a result of this man showing God's grace to others. In the kingdom of God, Barnabas was a balcony person. Now, in about four minutes, all the balcony people down at Nissan Stadium You know what they're going to start doing? Huh? Huh? They're going to cheer. They're going to cheer. They're going to pull for a win. Now, don't you wish the church would learn to do that? That we, that we cheered for one another? Now, the tragedy is, have you noticed this? It's become kind of common in American culture today when our team doesn't do well. We, we turn around and boo them. <laughs> what a tragedy. How fickle could we be? <laughs> Eric Usami of Equatorial Guinea was an unlikely hero of the Sydney Olympic Games. They nicknamed him the swimmer. <laughs> a 22-year-old African had only learned to swim the January before and had only practiced in a 20-meter pool without lane markers and had never raced more than 50 meters. But by special invitation of the International Olympic Committee, under a special program that permitted poorer countries to participate, even though their athletes did not meet customary standards, he had entered the 100-meter freestyle. When the two other swimmers in his heat were disqualified because of false starts, Busambani was forced to swim along. He was, to use the words of an Associated Press reporter about this race, he was charmingly inept. He never put his head under the water surface. He flailed wildly just to stay afloat. With 10 meters left to the wall, he virtually came to a stop, and some of the spectators thought that he was going to drown. And even though his time was several minutes slower than what qualified for the next level of competition, the capacity crowd at the aquatic center stood to their feet and cheered this swimmer on. And after what seemed like an eternity, this young African man reached the wall and hung on for dear life. <laughs> and when he had caught his breath and regained his composure, the French-speaking Muzambani said through an interpreter, I want to send hugs and kisses to the crowd. It was their cheering that kept me going. I think Paul would say, I want to send hugs and kisses to Barnabas. It was his cheering that got me in the door. It was his cheering that gained me acceptance. It was his cheering that kept me in the game for the kingdom. 
And then I think John Mark would step up and John Mark would say, I want to send hugs and kisses to Barnabas because there was a time when I dropped out completely. He brought me back. He made me once again believe that God could use a broken vessel. Hey, folks, what kind of person are you? Nobody can answer this but you. Are you the kind of person that when someone's around you, I mean, they cannot wait to get around you because they just know they're going to fill my tank. They're going to be so full of Jesus and his love and his grace, I'm going to be a better person once I'm with them. Are you one of those people when they see you coming, they say, oh, God. Because they know you're going to suck the life out of them. Now, that's a decision. That's a decision we all have to make. Be a Barnabas. I can just see, oh, Gregory of Nyssa, who gave that illustration. He's doing this. Take your fist. Black, you're riding a horse for a second. I know this is childish, and I love to embarrass people, okay? <laughs> James, you're not riding. Come on, ride with me, okay? <laughs> He's cheering him on. Go, go. That's the kind of people we need in God's kingdom today. Saying to brothers and sisters, who may be discouraged, maybe feel like they're on the sideline, it's time to get back in. And it can be your grace and your encouragement that brings them back. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that we can be here, this wonderful church this morning. I thank you for my friend Chris, his commitment to Jesus, to the ministry and the dream of Strong Tower Church, of, of ministering across all kinds of lines. If there has been a church that has been a Barnabas church, it's been this one, Lord. And I pray for them today, both as a body, but also as individuals. We never know who's going to walk in the door and what brokenness and heartache they're going to bring with them. But we know that we're a part of the answer. Because we can be dispensers of, of God's love and grace and encouragement. You said in the scripture, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. I'm so thankful he's been faithful even when we have not. And now I pray as we go from this place this morning that we might model our lives more after our brother Barnabas. I pray some of us will give some real thought today to what our nickname might be if the church were to really give us a name based on our actions and our attitudes. Maybe that some of us need a name change today. But that name change can only come with that heart change. And so I pray God change our hearts and make us the kind of ambassadors you desire for us to be. And we ask our prayer in Jesus' name. And everyone who would agree with the prayer said, Amen. Amen. Amen.